It's time to roll up our sleeves and get to work. This is Up and to the Right for the 43rd week of 2016. This episode is all about reintroducing Up and to the Right, why I'm restarting the podcast, and why that's better for everyone. We'll also talk about what you can expect from the new format. So without further delay, welcome to Up and to the Right, the no-nonsense podcast bringing you the art and science of business. This is where we cover things that matter to small business owners, startups, and people interested in becoming entrepreneurs. We talk about increasing revenue, not buzzwords, decreasing cost, not short-term trends, good operating practices, not theories. This is about sound business principles and how to apply them in your individual business situation. So as I mentioned in the brief introduction there, uh, we're going to reintroduce the Up and to the Right podcast And I wanted to talk a little bit about why I made that choice after so few uh, episodes. And uh, if you've listened to the podcast already, you'll know there's three previous episodes. And you might have some idea for the format. But for those who who didn't, I want to give a little bit of background so that people understand what I did and why I did it. um, So they can maybe learn some lessons here. Because I made a mistake. And uh, I think it's important that we... Uh, that we talk about those and learn from them. So the whole purpose, the founding idea behind Beyond 50% is to provide uh, business information to entrepreneurs and small business owners in a no-nonsense kind of format. Very easy to digest, focused, and jargon-free. And uh, when I did the original Up and to the Right format, uh, I had this idea that we were going to have a four week kind of almost a mini course about uh, a specific topic that uh, someone could make some changes in their organization, which I still think is a good idea. Um, And when I started it, it was a newsletter. You would, so you would sign up for the newsletter. It would go out, you'd get uh, maybe a worksheet or some other document saying, this is what the month is going to be about. Then there'd be uh, a week would go by. Then there'd be a podcast. And then that podcast, I would re, uh, reiterate the information that was provided in the newsletter and then maybe add some historical context from my own perspective or um, maybe a, a case study, uh, something like that that would help provide some guidance and some boundaries around the project. Well, then the next week in in what I called podcast number two, there would be a uh, maybe some additional information, some Q and A, emails from listeners, uh, whatever you know would add to that project for for a business owner. And then finally, the last week of the month, there was going to be a summary video where I shared um, everything that uh, that I learned because part of that program was I was going to do the project that month. Um, as an exercise on my own company. And so, you know, what was the, the, the takeaways that I had from the project, maybe some information from some other users, um, and kind of summarize everything on YouTube. And so here's why I chose that methodology. And it was in, in some ways very self-serving and it turned out to be a mistake. Um, obviously the newsletter is to get, uh, to get people on a mailing list. And that is important to the business. And I do want to communicate with my listeners, but um, you want to be careful about doing it in a way that 
that uh, doesn't decrease the usability of your product. And that's ultimately what I did. But so the newsletter was I specifically designed around providing people in, you know, this information, but also getting uh, them onto a communications list. The second thing was the, the podcast. Obviously, uh, I want people to listen. And I think podcasting and audio content is one of the most digestible contents that we have around. Um, and it's easy, relatively speaking, to produce. Uh, you know, I can produce this in my own home office or in my uh, office at work. Um, and uh, so then the summary video uh, would have gone on YouTube. YouTube is the second largest search engine on the internet. So driving traffic to beyond 50%. So the idea was providing a multiple uh, multimedia learning. So read it, listen to it. Uh, there would be activities like worksheets. So actually do it and then watch it on video. So there was uh, some method to the madness that was not simply self-serving, but, uh, uh, but in all transparency, uh, trying to engage listeners and users in more than one way throughout the process. And that didn't turn out to work very well because what happened was that it, it immediately violated the first principle that I wanted to have for beyond 50%. And that was simple, no nonsense business information. And so I put those three episodes out and then went through it uh, myself, kind of looked at, uh, uh, you know, honestly looked at the internet stats and you realize that, uh, what you're doing is not working. You know, you're not attracting listeners. Um, uh, nobody wants to sign up on a newsletter list if they don't know what they're going to get. Uh, and so I went back and I said, all right, uh, that's not going to be the way it's going to work. Uh, that's, it's not going to work that way. You can't make a full blown course and expect people to sign up and and uh, think it's going to be a quick podcast and call it uh, simple, no-nonsense business information. So that was one big driving reason why it wasn't working, and, and, I, and I felt like it needed to change. The second thing is, uh, quite honestly, it was more than I could do. Uh, if anybody's put together a, a coursework uh, as part of their work, uh, you'll know it's actually, uh, there's there's a lot that goes into it. And between uh, working my day job, I have a family, and launching and, and developing content for beyond 50%, it was simply more than I could do uh, reasonably. And it's still important to me to get information to small business owners. Uh, I just had to find another mechanism to make that happen uh, that I could manage. And so the, the lesson out of all of that is that when something doesn't work, change it. Don't wait. Just uh, figure out what's not working and move on. And so, for for those of you who are jargon junkies, there's there's a couple of of uh, buzzwords that are currently floating around in the universe. One of them is pivot. Uh, there's another phrase called fail fast and fail often. Uh, and uh, another one called minimum viable product, and and then part of the uh, part of that philosophy is to iterate. Meaning, and each of these me basically means you find out what's working or what's not working, and you change it as fast as you find out that it's not working, 
and start testing again, start finding out what's going to work. So uh, bottom line, I felt like this wasn't working for beyond 50% and for my target audience, which is small business owners. And so we're going to try something different. So what is that going to look like? And flipping around in my notes here. So the first, the new format is going to be a five-part uh, format. There's going to be brief announcements at the beginning after the intro, a main topic. We're going to talk about some tools of the trade. We're going to have a section I call the reading room. And then we're going to have what I'm currently calling the free form thought of the week. Uh, quite frankly, right now, I'll tell you, I don't like that title, but we're going to work, we're going to work with it until I think of something more clever. The, uh, what can you expect? Announcements will basically be business news, site upgrades, new products, new content, uh, events, or important business dates, stuff like that. The main topic, uh, will be consist of basically a very specific, um, targeted topic where I'll have a discussion around it. Uh, maybe Q and a, if the listener, a listener Q and a, or a listener email, uh, there may be worksheets, downloads, or resources. If I can come up with a, a, a worksheet that I think will be helpful to, uh, help you Im implement, uh, something in your business, I'll definitely, uh, generate that and post it, uh, on the website at beyond50percent.com. And then there'll be uh, a suggested push up and to the right, which will be an action item that you can take in your own business to um, uh, uh, that's related to the main topic. And it will be narrowly focused and designed to uh, designed to jumpstart some change to improve your business. So uh, so that'll be the main topic. Then moving on to the tools of the trade. I love to try new tools, whether that tool is a software package, uh, a literal tool, uh, you know, a, a new uh, digital recorder, a new phone, a new um, Apple Watch, whatever it is. Um, I love to try things out and see how they can apply to business. And a lot of times you might imagine they don't, you know, they're, they look cool on paper but they're simply not a good choice for business owners or they're not a good choice for my workflow. And uh, so I'll, I'll talk about a tool and it, it could range from literally a physical product to uh, a website uh, depending on the week. And I'll tell you, what do I think, how do I think that's going to relate to my business? How do I think that's going to make an improvement uh, for my customers or, or for my bottom line? And then what I'm also going to do is I'm going to bring that product back in some number of months. And I'm going to say, okay, in episode 40, in week 43 of 2016, I introduced this product and this is what I thought it was going to be like. And as it turns out, this is how I used it or didn't use it as the case may be, uh, I want to be very clear though, this is not an objective kind of review process. This is a very subjective uh, application of a tool or something within my own uh, work environment and my own workflow. 
and I'm going to, I'll explain how that, how, how I'm going to use it each time. So you'll understand that you'll have a good feel for that, but it, um, you know, everybody's different and you can, you'll be able to hopefully look at some of the things that I've talked about and say, oh yeah, I, I get that, that I understand that workflow. Maybe that product isn't a good fit for me or no, that that's completely different than the way that, that I work. So I, I think I'm, I'm going to try that out or no, I don't want to try that out because it's not going to work at all for me, but um, it'll give me the opportunity to introduce some of these tools to you and maybe how they might apply to uh, your business situation. So the next thing we'll do is the reading room, which uh, will obviously be a reflection on books. Um, I'm a voracious consumer of, of mostly audiobooks. I absolutely love audio uh, audible and uh, quite frankly, I think cars should come with an Audible account. But um, uh, what I'll do is I'll talk about what I'm reading, why I think it's a app, uh, <laughs> why I think it's applicable to um, business in general or my business specifically, and um, then and talk a little bit about uh, what I've learned from it so far. Or it, you know, if I've completed the book, then maybe I'll talk about. What are the major lessons that I got out of it? So then the finally, the free form thought of the week is going to be exactly that. It's going to be my time to uh, pick a topic and just kind of talk about it. Um, and it, uh, I will try to keep it business related, but no promises. So for this week, that's that summarizes basically what we're going to be doing each week here. And just to to summarize that one more time for you. The new format for the Beyond 50% uh, Up and to the Right podcast will be an announcement section, a main topic that will uh, be directly related to doing business as a small business owner, a tool of the trade, which could be anything from a website to a physical tool, the reading room, which will be uh, where I share what I'm reading and why and how it applies to the business that I'm running. And then the freeform thought of the week where uh, I get to just kind of share whatever I feel like at the time. Uh, so for this week, take what I've learned this week, which is uh, that I put out a podcast that didn't really do what I wanted. Um, it didn't uh, uh, accomplish the first tenant of my business, which is simple. And so is there something in your business, anything at all, that you know isn't really working? And if there is, what are some changes you might make? And, and how could you fix it? Um, if you can't think of something that isn't really working in your business, um, I challenge you to ask a coworker, a vendor, or a customer if there's something your business could do better and I promise you that if they're honest, they'll tell you that there is. There's always something we can do to improve our business. Uh, so uh, one one of the other questions I, I would ask is, if you're not making a change, if you know something's not working, ask yourself, are you waiting for something outside your business to change so that something inside your business will work? And this is a serious trap that small business owners fall into. We believe so strongly in what we're doing 
that we wait for outside influences, outside market conditions to change so that that thing that we're already doing will work. And it's uh, waiting for something outside your business to change so that your business works is going to run you out of cash. It's it, the, the thing to do if something's not working is change. Find something to do differently and try very hard not to get emotionally invested in the way that you're accomplishing your business um, and spend that energy trying to find ways to make uh, your to bring your value to your customers in a way that's that's helpful for them. So what if you find something that's really big? Uh, you want to you want to change you, you go through your your list of things that you want to change and you realize that uh, the biggest thing that you could do right now is to upgrade your sales process. Maybe it's not consistent between salespeople. Maybe it's uh, maybe you're not getting the values of your business across uh, with the way that your salespeople interact with uh, your customers. Uh, but a sales process nowadays can be pretty complicated. You have email interactions, phone interactions, social media interactions, all of those things, um, plus, of course, face-to-face -face interactions. And all of those things uh, work together to create an, an experience for your customer. And that can be a pretty big uh, uh, project if you need to upgrade it. The simple answer, of course, is to break it down into small pieces. Uh, and and the if we take the sales example a little further, let's say that the the um, you want to have a complete comprehensive sales program so that every time somebody interacts with a customer, they get these values and these uh, uh, interaction points uh, and this information. How do we do that? Well, let's say the first thing we want to do is say, okay, when I answer the phone. This is how I'm going to do it. Thank you for calling ABC Company. How may I help you? And you tell everybody in the company, this is how we're going to do it. And give them some time to adapt to that. Uh, and then move on to the next thing that you work on. When I get an email, how do I handle it? When, I get, when I'm talking face-to-face, -face, how do I handle that? Uh, and so if it's a big project, Break it down into a few small pieces, maybe five small pieces, um, and and do one at a time uh, until you until you get it fixed. So, uh, so that's the suggested action for this week. And uh, I'd love to hear what things people are working on. Yeah, just leave a, a content a content a comment at the bottom of of this of the post for this uh, episode. Uh, what you're working on this week or uh, what problems you're working on in your business or what problems you've seen in other businesses. Don't call them out by name, please. But, um, you know, problems can be pretty general. So if you get, uh, if, if you've had a, a recent experience with a company, say, uh, you know, uh, I had this experience with a company um, and how would people handle that differently or something? And, and, uh, uh, let's create a discussion around it so that we can avoid the mistakes that not only that we make as business owners, but that we experience as customers. So this week's in, in the tool of the trade this week, I'm going to start off a little bit low tech. 
And uh, I'll be interested to uh, uh, hear what people think about this too. But uh, I'm going to start with the Moleskin notebook. And if you're not familiar with Moleskin, uh, they're uh, square-backed uh, notebooks and uh, pretty high-end, I guess. Um, but they uh, you can get them at Barnes & Noble, and I think you can probably get them on Amazon. Uh, but I write a lot, uh, even in this digital age. And I, I just got done telling you that I'm a, a gadget junkie and that's true. But, uh, you know, the, the experience of writing in, on my iPad is, is nothing like the experience of writing on my Moleskin notebook. And I don't know why, um, uh, that, and it could entirely be, uh, you know, me, that just might be the way my brain likes to work. Uh, that's okay. Uh, but I like to write and I take my notes in pencil. I use a 0.7, if 0.7 millimeter, if anybody's curious, uh, usually a soft lead and, uh, uh, what I like about moleskins is they're well-made. They have good paper. It doesn't fall apart on you. It doesn't disintegrate. If it gets wet, mine, mine, have all had coffee on them at some point in their lives. Uh, they, they last through that and, uh, and they last on the shelf. So if you're looking at them, you know, months later, they are in good condition. So uh, just something to think about. If you don't feel like you're high tech, uh, you know, don't feel bad. I think there's a lot of tools out in the world that, that, uh, um, you know, don't need a whole lot of, of technology improvement. And, and one of them is, is just good old writing. So try out a Moleskin. I get mine, like I said, at Barnes and Noble, but I think, uh, I'm sure you can, well, you can certainly buy them at moleskin.com. Um, but, uh, uh, you can probably get them at Amazon too. Um, uh, I'd love to hear if, uh, anybody else uses notebooks or if I'm, I'm one of a dying breed, um, and uh, yeah, leave a comment below if you if you've got a, an experience to think about uh, or an experience to comment about uh, notebooks. So the reading room this week, uh, I just wrapped up the Art of the Start 2.0 by Guy Kawasaki. Um, I'll give you a brief rundown of of the things that I liked about it. It's a very practical book. It's kind of entertaining. Uh, he says at the end of it that he's a very funny guy. Um, uh, it didn't come across as funny on Audible, but um, but maybe uh, maybe in person he's much funnier. <laughs> uh, I didn't care much for the narration. If you get the Audible version, uh, I think Paul Bomer is the narrator, and uh, his style was a little bit much for me. But the information out of the book was very very good. Uh, there are a few chapters about venture capital and funding. If you're not interested in uh, pursuing venture capital, uh, you might be able to skip those chapters. But in even in those chap chapters, there were hidden gems that I thought were uh, could be helpful for people, uh, you know, regardless of their business situation. So I think it was a worthwhile read. Whether you're starting a business and you want to stay small um, or grow to IPO, it's worth taking a look at. Uh, the biggest takeaways for me. And, and I think these are worth looking at as it's, 
more important to run your business than plan it. So don't get so wrapped up in planning, planning, planning that you don't actually do anything. Uh, don't plan revenue on 1% market share. So here's, this was an interesting point that, that uh, uh, Mr. Kawasaki makes. And that is that when you, when it, it's a very common thing to do for people to say, okay, I am going to, uh, look at the number of small business owners in the United States, and I'm going to get 1% of them to buy something from me. And, uh, you know, if you do that, you know, I should be competing with Apple in a few years. Well, the reality is much different. And the way to plan revenue, instead of saying you're going to get 1% market share, which is uh, usually if you're looking at any kind of big market, any kind of market really, uh, that, that becomes a huge number. You have to do it from what's called the bottom up. So when you plan revenue from the bottom up, you have to say, okay, how many visitors do I get to my site? How many of those can I turn into customers? And what is the average selling price of whatever I'm going to sell to them at that time? So if you run those numbers, you'll find a much different uh, result than if you say, I'm going to get 1% of market share by year three. So um, the, the difference is that reality is going to fall much closer to that first, uh, to, to the uh, bottom-up approach. And uh, it also gives you a sense of how much cash you, you can expect to really have to build the business, you know, up to, you know, hopefully maybe someday you can get that 1% market share. But, uh, but it provides a much more realistic view of the revenue picture. So that was a, a, a an interesting thing that I really liked. And, and uh, oh, the last thing that, that I, I really liked out of the book was to uh, that you should pitch your business to everyone. And of course, if you're literally pitching your business because you want to go uh, get funding, then the more practice you have, the better. And the, it's, it would be important to be fluid and comfortable uh, with the... Um, and, and practiced at delivering your business's core concepts. This week, for the form for the free form thought of the week, uh, I decided I wanted to talk briefly about email signatures. So, and this is a pet peeve of mine. Um, first of all, have one. Uh, an email signature is very easy to make. If if you have uh, if you don't currently have an email signature and you don't know how to do it, all you have to do is, is go into a search engine and, and uh, enter add email signature and then the, the email client that you use, whether it's Outlook or the Mail app. If you're a, a Mac user, or in my case, I use AirMail. Um, you know, whatever it is, just, you know, just go into Google and say uh, add email signature Google and or Gmail and you'll get exact instructions on how to go through it. It's very easy to do. So why is this so why is this worth having a freeform thought of the week over? Uh, you you don't want to make it hard for people to do business with you. And email is a very easy, convenient, free way to make sure that anyone that you communicate with has your contact information. So there's no reason to withhold it. 
unless you don't want them to talk to you. Well, if you don't want them to talk to you, why are you sending them an email in the first place? So what should you include in a good email signature? Your full name, your title, your company name, your phone number, and your email address. And we'll talk about physical address and logo in, in a second. But let's go through those. So your full name, why not just put, uh, thanks for, you know, having, have a great time. Thanks, Stephen. If someone wants to add you to a database and they're putting your, they put your first name in, they might know more than one person with your first name. So go ahead, add your full name in there and make sure, and that way they can spell it correctly and they have it uh, for entering into the database. Title. So let's talk about titles for a second. And, and you're saying to yourself maybe, Steve, why would I want my title there? Titles are for, are for pretentious people. Well, okay, I understand. But we also use titles to understand who to talk to about what. So we're not talking about putting your title there for your ego. We're talking about putting your title there so that people know who in your organization to talk to when they have a question. If somebody sends me an email about accounting at my day job, I forward it to an accountant. But they also have an understanding that um, if they need to send perhaps a legal document, sending it to the sales manager is not going to be helpful. So they send it to me. So by defining what role we have in the company, it helps your customers and your vendors and in a larger company, your coworkers, understand how you fit into that uh, organization and how you can be of service to them. So by including your title, you, you share with your customers how you can be of service. Company name should be a no-brainer. Put the company name as it's spelled so they can also so they can enter it into a database. Uh, and, and that way they can make sure that they're putting you with other, other uh, contacts that they have with the same company, if that's appropriate, or just making sure they know uh, which company they need to talk to. If you're a small organization, people might think of you as, as your personal name, or they might think of you as your company name, but what you don't want is for them to forget who you are completely because they can't associate you with anything at all because you didn't put anything in your email signature. Phone number and email address. Uh, phone number should be self-explanatory, of course, because if somebody wants to call, uh, then they need to know how to do that. And you don't want to make it difficult. Uh, and you can say, well, all that information is on the website. And that's, that's probably true. If you have a good website, you certainly have your company's phone number and email address or contact information for uh, for your business right in there. Why make it hard for them? If they're in their email and they need to call you, why make them take that extra step to go to the internet, type in your email or your uh, URL and uh, and dig it up themselves? Don't make customers work if you don't have to. So the phone number should be added uh, the full number in the region that you do business. So if you're an international, if you do business internationally a lot, 
um, it can often be helpful to go ahead and put the prefix codes that people need to get a hold of you um, based on where you are. Uh, email address. And you might be wondering, well, if they've got my email, if they've got my email, why do I need to put my email address in my signature? A lot of email clients now are uh, using the person's name as the email address. And it becomes, it's becoming harder and harder to, for, uh, uh, let's call them a lay person, to actually figure out what the email address is on an incoming email because you have to look at the header information and that's not always readily available. So what we do, just add the email address. It costs you nothing and it gives them an easy way to go, oh, okay, uh, I, I can add this to my database or uh, if they have to send it to somebody else, uh, you know, they have it immediately available. They don't have to look it up. And finally, or I guess we've got a couple more things. The physical address, that can depend. Of course, if you do a lot of foot traffic at your office, then obviously you want your physical address there. If you are doing a, a business out of your home, you may not want physical, you may not want visitors to come directly to your house, uh, and you may uh, choose not to put a physical address. There are consequences to not putting an address because people don't necessarily associate professionalism with a company that doesn't have uh, an office address. Now, you can certainly go through and, and argue it either way. Um, for uh, for my day job work, I uh, I put my physical address on my signature for beyond 50%. I don't have it on my signature because I, I'm working on my home office. So um, at least at this point. So that's a choice you can make. Uh, what about your logo? Well, uh, honestly, I'm not, uh, to me, that's a branding issue. If you want to put your logo in there, great. If you don't want to put it in, you think it's too much. I, I don't have any argument one way or the other about that. Um, but what I do think is important is that you take the time to put an email signature together, include your name, your title, your company name, the phone number, and email address. And just have that as an easily accessible thing for your, for your customers and vendors so people can get in touch with you. Uh, I guess I should touch on one other thing, and that is social media contacts. So, you know, do you put at, at beyond 50% for your Twitter or the Facebook page or your Instagram handle. Um, I don't. And there are definitely different schools of thought on that. Um, you certainly can put it in there. I think there is a point at which uh, your email signature becomes too cluttered and you have to be careful of that. Um, I don't follow people from my email. So you know, I'll, I'll look somebody up on LinkedIn or I'll look a company up on the web. And if I like the page and I think the information is interesting and I, and I feel like I want to follow them, then I follow them from that location. Um, I don't know how widespread that behavior pattern is. You can probably Google, uh, you know, where do people link to social media from, um, and, and find out more about that. 
Um, but for, for my purposes, I don't, I don't put uh, social media in my email, email signature. So there you have it. The revamp of the up and to the right podcast from beyond 50%. Uh, like I said, we're going to have an episode a week. It's going to be uh, based on one topic that will open and close in that episode. So instead of being this long drawn out process, you know, a four week kind of process, it's going to be uh, targeted and focused on one activity per week. And I look forward to uh, talking to you guys next week. Uh, let's roll up our sleeves and get to work.